0: Hello and welcome to a bonus edition of the Leaders' Performance Podcast. My name is John Porch. I'm the editor at the Leaders' Performance Institute. And today we bring you a choice cut from our Leaders' Meet Coach and Player Development Summit, which took place at Cardiff's Principality Stadium on the 24th of March. Perhaps some of the Leaders' Performance Institute members amongst you were in attendance? Either way, the onstage conversation you are about to hear features Ian Brunschweiler, the head of technical development at English Premier League Club Southampton, and Jess Thelby, the head coach of England Netball. The session moderator was Dan Clements, the performance coach manager at Welsh Rugby Union, who led a discussion on curriculums, playbooks, and development principles. The trio then segue into their most meaningful coach development experiences before exploring the concept of work-life balance. They then wrap things up by answering a question from the audience. As you'll hear, it was a fascinating chat, so let's get right into it. The first voice you'll hear is Dan's.
1: we're going to try and go without the microphones. Hopefully that's okay. So can everybody hear us okay? Perfect. So really pleased for this session. So uh, joining us, we've got, uh, I'm allowed to call you Brunchy. Yeah, he's doing. Brunchy. And he's going to be heckled apparently from the back by a lot of people. So he's obviously upset some people. What Head of technical. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was going to be you. <laughs> You're doing great. You're doing great. Um, Head of technical (laughs) development at uh, Southampton Football Club. Uh, And has plenty of experience that we'll probably um, dig into uh, from other sports, mainly cricket and and working with UK coaching as well. Uh, And then really pleased to get uh, Jess's perspective as as a head coach. So Jess, they'll be head coach of of England Netball, uh, and extensive experience within within the coaching realm uh, across various teams. Did Did I read you Coach Celtic Dragons?
2: for one season but that seems seems to leave my my biog every time so yeah it was obviously memorable we went from bottom to second from bottom in a year success that's That's impressive
1: (laughs) perfect so welcome back (laughs) welcome back to Wales um so I guess we're going to keep this as as open as we can and we're probably going to touch on a lot of the subjects that we've we've um we've dug into today a little bit the first one we had a bit of a prep call on Wednesday and that lasted well over an hour and it was only supposed to be half an hour. <laughs> so um, hopefully we'll try and keep this within, within the time frame. So the first bit we were gonna look at was this idea of curriculums because we've discussed it quite a lot today. And you've both got, um, <laughs> bless you, extensive experience um, in different roles with mm-hmm. curriculums. So Brunch, I was gonna come to you first and say, can you just give us a bit of an insight into Curriculums at, I was going to say, say, am I going to say Saints? Saints, yeah, yeah. Saints. So <coughs> from your view, how, how do you go about that piece of work? Uh,
3: yeah, <coughs> so I guess we just had a discussion that we don't particularly like the word curriculum to start off with. Um, I don't know if that's my own lived experience of, of a curriculum feels quite linear. Um, you've used the word framework, I think, today. People use different words to describe it. But I, I think what we've tried to embed at the club is is we've got to stick our, our flag in the sand somewhere and say these are some topics we believe are important to cover over the course of um, a player's journey. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, go, I've been very lucky to come into a club where Ed who's in the room, other, <coughs> other members of staff in the room have, have paved the way with some writing stuff down really well. So previous, in previous roles, less stuff was written down, I think. Yeah. So a good starting point in that I came into a, a club which had a, a, a coaching philosophy that was written down um, and sort of 11 statements that sat under that that defined the way we were going about coaching. And then we've tried to evolve a, a curriculum whereby a player development framework, <laughs> uh, however you want to say it, that, that manages that tension between um, we want to cover specific topics And also we want to coach the player that's in front of us. Mm. So I guess that's my opening gambit is like there's a tension that exists there between um, knowing what you're going to cover Mm. and responding to the humans that are in front of you.
1: Yeah, great. You you talked um, the other day when we were on the call around if it's working, I think I'm paraphrasing a bit, if it's working, anybody in this room could have these uh, principles in front of them and go and watch a session and be able to (coughs) walk the campus and say these are the – these are the things I'm seeing, yep. these are the things I'm not seeing. Is it as straightforward as that?
3: Uh, it's definitely not straightforward. I think we've got to a point where um, we've evolved from having some curriculum topics to also having some supporting documentation, which both covers our co- the coaching skills that are required to bring those topics to life. Mm. So we've got our coaching skill pillars. So if we're committed to this coaching philosophy and delivering this curriculum, these are the skills we need that we, we think the coaches need mm. to bring them to life so that feeds into the coach development piece mm. and then working with the phase leads Lee who's in the room here and, and some of the other uh, phase lead coaches, we felt it was important to have some principles that sat around the coaching session mm. so we now have a one-pager, which is about seven or eight bullet points, which if I gave this one-pager to either of you or anyone in the room, you could come along, watch the coaching session, and almost go like, yes, I am seeing some problem-solving occurring. I am seeing the players enjoying themselves, or not. And you could, we've at least, we've, we've written some stuff down that hopefully we can be held account to. Yeah,
1: brilliant. And is it you being held account to them, or the coaches? Oh, great question. <laughs> We're all in it together, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant okay that wasn't a trivia. we should have talked about that one Um, (laughs) uh, so Jess I I was fascinated by uh, your description of my (laughs) rant your description of uh, an experience of curriculums so I guess the question for you would be are they important to you as a head coach as a national head coach
2: Uh, really good question I think I've lived through several iterations of our sport I can only speak for netball in terms of our attempt at trying to articulate and put down on paper and have that fabulous grid of competencies by which we can hand to coaches and they can run a session as long as they've ticked the box that's what coaching was seen to be and I think I'm not sure if people have one if they've understood it uh, our sports most probably way behind some of the other more professional sports just in terms of that workforce um, and how that lands with those people so we're making some big assumptions as to how they interpret that and what they do yeah. with it but I think more recently um, since coming into this role in particular it has been it, they are really important and have a place because they are they have to be a, a signpost and a guide but I think we're trying to do top down and bottom up and trying to understand where the two meet at the moment and we've got most probably dealing with a situation where in previous iterations it has landed on a, a workforce that maybe don't even understand what it is, let alone how to use it and then how to apply it, which I think came up earlier. Mm-hmm. But what we've tried to do, I guess, at Rose's level is, as I know there have been other versions of this across multiple sports, is talk about the Rose's way and trying to um, capture more broadly, because I think the focus has often been on skill development, technical, tactical, and nothing else in our sport anyway. And I think that's really sad because I think it's missing a huge amount um, of skills and behaviours and character mm. that isn't getting captured in those types of documents. Mm. So to live it and to feel it and to see it and to sense it, I think has been massively lacking. Um, so really one-dimensional beforehand, whereas I think, my, my, I guess in my role, I'm trying to capture on behalf of the sport what that roses way looks and feels like and if you were to walk into a training environment that you would hope if it was family fortunes that how they how they would describe what they see and how we're going about our business whether that's Mm. coaches or players you'd expect them to be able to pick that up quite quickly but there's Mm. as much weighting on the the social skills the psychological skills as much as the technical and tactical and it is deliberately kept quite broad so i guess from a from a roses perspective just want to capture what our point of difference is and i think actually having been in and around that england environment either as a player myself and or in and out in different coaching roles up until this point i guess that's put me in a really good position to have understood the journey to this point and actually what we've not been great at sorry about the positivity and not linking into what we're (laughs) we're strong at i'll do that maybe at another point i'm like the positivity Um, (laughs) I, don't think, I, I think the one thing I've heard on my, my transition from play into coaching about an England netball team is that we're very diverse. And I, I don't think that's just about the people in the room and in the team. It's about tactically we're very diverse. But if you were to ask people how Australia play or New Zealand, people can answer that very quickly in terms of their point of difference. And I don't think we've ever been able to articulate it. So it was, it's, I feel quite passionately around wanting to help now strengthen and influence that message as to what the Rose's way looks like, Mm. but also what a Rose is as a person and as a character and how that influences and informs how we play the game Mm. and how that sets us apart from our rivals. So I think deliberately going back to the question around curriculums, They push a button in me because um, I don't like things that are rigid. So I'm a product of my own experiences and the environments that I've either played within or coached within. And they've always had a degree of autonomy and freedom to explore and have afforded me to be very curious around my role as both a player and a coach. So I can't avoid that. That's helped me become the coach I am. So I think curriculums for me almost suggest rigidity. And they almost stifle the ability for both coaches and players to explore. Mm. So that is just, it's just personal. That's, that's not mm. my bag, really. So I think it's really important that whatever a curriculum looks like or a framework looks like, that there is space and scope for there to be a degree of flexibility. Mm. Otherwise, actually, we're almost undoing the very message that we're trying to send is that we expect creativity or problem solvers or decision makers Um, within the context of our sports but the framework is telling us otherwise and is actually detraining all of those things and i think we're kind of in a in a strange space at the moment because our our critical mass of coaches have most probably been it we've done them a disservice really because Mm. our the our attempts at trying to give them a framework and a guiding star have most probably not been done in a way that's helpful Mm. Um, i
1: think that's quite a big theme today around this the critical mass of coaches so the the, the people <clears throat> with the most influence are the ones we've probably got to you know put the most effort and emphasis mm. into and i think i talked about it this morning about bang bang for your buck and the time it's really hard isn't it the time and and given you know your roles you probably you get in that position where people are trying to glean information off you to then go and deliver it second hand i guess i think what, so one Dan, of the things I, I, I wanted I, to go on. just dive in because it you.
3: We've got a really interesting scenario <clears throat> in that our equivalent of your role is Ralph Hazen who's the first team manager, who has a very, very clear and specific way of playing, and and during the COVID break, uh, he, him and his team have come up with a playbook, which is you know, training modalities <laughs> and you know the, a way of playing that is really specific. So we have this really interesting interaction between. Um, some known principles and behaviours at the performance end of the pathway and then we have our broad development curriculum that starts in our sport with six-year-olds seven-year-olds which is you know in itself an interesting space Um, so you talk about top down and and bottom up and, and that there's going to be an intersection of those two approaches so you know, I guess that's part of my role and Ed's role and some and of and the team that are here today, is, is how can we manage that tension so that we're providing a really broad, really holistic development experience for young players coming up through. And also we're narrowing down to the fact that we have to prepare them and hopefully facilitate resource development in them so they're ready to go into a really clear and specific environment. Mm. And in fact, if they, yeah, the feedback i get from the first team coaches is if our b team or under 18 lads don't know the specific training drills they'll probably get turfed out within the first session is that clear so <laughs> which and that's so that's that is the reality of what we're
1: dealing with yeah. so um i just thought that was it is such an interesting space to operate in we, we did have a discussion earlier about this idea and it resonated how you spoke then around this idea of principles so if you keep things principle based you've got more of a, a chance of getting better outcomes in terms of player yeah. development, I guess, but also players yeah. coming through to your your environment.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think it's just important to, I guess, my outlook on what I'm trying to achieve with the players that I work with is to play the, play the game in a way that's not been played yet and to kind of understand what the future game looks like and to understand what future coaching looks like and what those environments might be and to kind of take teams and for them to achieve things that the team before them have never done. Mm -hmm. So I think in having like being very clear and being very ambitious and having a clear intent, I think it's, I just think it's important that it's like a piece of research, isn't it? And I think we joked about this on our table earlier is no sooner does it come out that it's old news. (laughs) So it's kind of like trying to get ahead of the curve and anticipate what that might look like. And as I say, just allow players to have some freedom. I think a lot of people have spoken today around how knowledgeable they are. And I'm a big believer that there is... I I don't believe in too much of a hierarchy in terms of the environments we are. And actually for the players to have that sense of autonomy to drive their own development and how they see the game could and can be played Mm. is really important to embrace as opposed to avoid. Mm. Um, So, yeah, playbooks, I think, are are an interesting concept because, again, for me, I, I think it's just... To what extent do you have a playbook by which you are beginning to almost hem people in to a one way of doing it? So I think mm. it's just I can't say that the greatest strength of a England Roses team is the diversity, both tactically and in terms of the people in it, and then produce a framework that removes all of that. So yeah. I'm, I'm just being hypocritical. So I think it's just <clears throat> aligning the two things and celebrating that and being seen to be a bit brave and courageous about it. It might be hard, yeah, but you know I'm. I'm a big believer in things not being put in the too hard basket like that's where i like to live so
1: yeah brilliant the the second bit we were going to talk around was um that idea of meaning in in learning experiences mm-hmm. so we've, we've got a coach's view and and, and a view of someone that's responsible for, for deli- delivering those, those uh, learning experiences, but also you've been through many learning experiences, so you've, 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 you've got both perspectives. But I guess the, the broad question was, what was the most uh, meaningful learning experience so far to date that you've put on?
3: That we have put on? Um, I think we've, we've um, we hopefully deliver a whole range of experiences for lots of different staff the one that sort of springs to mind is we run an internal leadership development self-development program um, which at least two people in the room have been on so they can tell you about their experience whereby we do some skill building which leads up to a very challenging day of uh, them having to negotiate with actors whilst it's being filmed piped into a room next door where their team are sitting and they can they can have a go at influencing another person within a sporting context. And then their team can knock on the door and bring them out and give them some advice, or they can call a timeout. So I think that's an example of something which is it's made up, but the feedback has been facilitating a kind of a high-pressure conversation is really impactful. And then the other one that that springs to mind that's more organic (coughs) is... um, you know we're lucky to have enough resource that when coaches are coaching we can go and observe them code stuff you know chris's work on coaching behaviors film them and then and then help them see themselves as mm-hmm. a coach and so i think that's been a really meaningful um experience you know any of us who've been filmed as a coach the first time you watch yourself <laughs> coaching it's like oh my god you know do i really say um that often or You know you see the ticks you have so i think the ability to be able to hold a mirror up in a non-judgmental way and just go right what was your intention today Mm. here's what you did to what extent did that meet your outcome did that meet your intention so that's
1: i think that's been quite meaningful for people brilliant and jess what what about your your view we talked the other day about quite a few Different experiences. Well, yeah, just
2: diff- I guess at different stages, and s- some are most probably accidental. And at the time, I definitely wasn't conscious of some of what I was going through, and hopefully, and now reaping some reward for having gone through. It. I guess having got um, transitioned from player to coach, which I know isn't necessarily for everybody, and we can't make an assumption that that's a, a straight line either, but. I remember being taken on a a tour, actually, as at the time I was still playing and most probably hadn't seen myself as a coach at all yet. Um, But my coach at the time took a group of us on an overseas tour to South Africa. And uh, within that space, we, uh, a couple of senior players, led teams as a coach into what was a South African tournament, you know, 50 teams. And we led teams for the first time through a tournament. um, High support high challenge high support the whole time and then there were elements of that tour where i slipped back into being a player and i think without realizing it like that for me was a really rich experience because it wasn't a case of feeling ready or even knowing that i was going to venture into coaching further down the line but that coach clearly had ideas so i think on reflection maybe many years after that that gave a really rounded view and allowed me to see things through several different lenses i think um a couple of other examples will be, in our sport it's, it's really only in the last five years where, you, where coaching has become a profession or afforded some people and that's still really only a, a handful of Super League clubs across the country. So. I think i was really fortunate in fact the last time i was here this is bringing bringing back a bit of ptsd for me because i did have a whole day here trying to get onto the uk sport elite coach program many many years ago and we were in boxes all day doing random simulations and (laughs) being a president of a random government and it was really hard work and i didn't know what i'd got myself into actually so i think um did you get on the course i did get on the course Yeah. yeah um and it, that was a really important transition for me because I got to work with other people, as we know the value in working in rubbing shoulders with those, both in sport, but different sports and or outside of sport. And that programme certainly addressed all of those. And actually the informal times over dinner, as I'm sure last night, mm. karaoke, I've heard, was a, a good example. Like, I think just rubbing shoulders and it's for me, it's always about the timing of the experiences. So whilst I think some of them I've stumbled across, and then I've just had to learn on the job. Hmm. I think where maybe I play a greater role or I at least support the development of other coaches, some things are very deliberate, but getting the timing right in understanding hmm. where that's going to happen in that coach's journey is really important. Um, and then some other, random. I guess, talking about people development, which we touched on the table, so less around necessarily pure coaching, but spending a day with Kevin Roberts in his home up in the Lake District was pretty impactful on me so most probably led me to leaving one job and not knowing what I was going to go on to next which I've then found myself in this role so I think just kind of that people development space and and finding people that can be quite disruptive with your current thinking Mm. Um, and yeah and being open to that really so I think yeah yeah, timing is everything.
1: You you talked um, really well the other day around uh, the the timing of it as well so was there a certain stage in your career where you started to um seek out some different type of learning
2: yeah i think um i think i fell into a role when my predecessor left um so but based at bath was most probably the first ever full-time netball program aside from e- even at the time the england program was a handful of weekend camps so um we had a new zealand coach Lyn gunson come over who established alongside jed roddy the first ever full-time netball program so i took a year out of my degree at the time um, went over to Bath trained every day and it was it was completely new it was the first of its kind and when she left I moved into her shoes or definitely was not ever going to fill her shoes but try I cared passionately about trying to continue to develop the program um, having been a product of it and I think that forced me because I was most probably, aside from the England coach at the time, that was the only other paid full time performance coach right. role. You could work local authority in development roles. Um, so felt pretty fortunate and surrounded by people who cared about me, mentors that were quite deliberate in terms of, right, what, what is it Jess needs to most probably be exposed to in order to make her or give her the best chance to be the best coach she can be. That meant doing a master's. It meant going overseas, spending time in different environments. Um, and, and I guess I was fortunate that I had others, key stakeholders thinking about what I needed to be exposed to. But in that role in particular, I was on my own. Like, so I wasn't just the head coach, I was the assistant coach, I was the director of netball, I was a PD without realising it. And I think whilst that may have felt accidental to an extent, I think that's what hopefully what's helped accelerate me to get into roles such as this one, yeah. um, maybe ahead of some others, like generations are coming through now that are equally as competent to, to get this role if mm. fortunate to do so. But I think, yeah, I've definitely most probably stuck my hand up, retired quite young from playing, so at 26. So I'm kind of just slightly ahead of most mm. probably a really healthy group of coaches that are coming through now with, yeah. with a, a similar outlook, but still with that cognitive difference in terms of how we see coaching.
1: Yeah. Brilliant. The last bit I was going to touch on was um, it probably we talked about it quite extensively in the week, but also the the bit that Eddie Howe was talking around. So if we think back to the video, and he was talking about being a, uh, obsessive, um, <coughs> and he pretty pretty much laid out how how tough that role was and how tough coaching is. Um, I just wanted to get both perspectives really, as as a coach and, and as someone that's looking after a lot of coaches, you know. How how do you find the balance? How do you encourage your staff to find the balance, if there is a balance?
3: Yeah, I think it's a very personal thing. Um, And being aware that everyone's different and everyone's approach to life is different. And that um, for some, being very obsessive and working long hours is actually what they want to do and that's what they feel is appropriate in their life. And for others, it might not be and that both of those are probably OK. Yeah. And, and I, we touched on this. It's about it's a bit like that quality over quantity. If, if we're really clear on what we're going after as outcomes, and then we're empowering those in our care to work towards those outcomes in their own way, I think that's a pretty healthy place to be. Mm. Um, and then I've become quite fascinated by line management. Um, <laughs> really boring things to say. There's a lot of TV mind. (laughs) (laughs) I don't watch much TV so I would say I wasn't particularly line managed ever until Ed became my line manager. That was the first time I ever had a weekly catch up with someone who actually asked me how I was getting on and kind of showed me a bit of care. I had a boss who gave me KPIs before but I don't think that's line management so I've got a bit of a bee in my bonnet about like genuinely caring about those who are your direct reports, for want of a better phrase. I think that's where it starts from. Mm. Because then if you can understand them as a person and their motivation and aspiration, then you can hopefully create um, the opportunity for them to thrive. Mm. Um, I'm smiling because I have a couple of people who I line manage in the room who probably want to comment about their horrific (laughs) working conditions. (laughs) He's a tyrant. Uh, yeah, he's, he's a, tyrant. a tyrant. But I think... I personally don't feel like I've ever worked a day in my life because I've operated in sport. I love it. I wake, I go to bed thinking about it. I wake up thinking about it. Um, and I'm not sure that's right, but that's <laughs> who I... And I said to my wife when, you know, back in the day when we got together, I was like, I'm really keen on sport, so... <laughs> I'm not sure it's going anywhere you know um, and I but I, I think I said this on the call I've always said to her when my job gets in the way of us just let me know and she's done it twice and she, she's still with me now <laughs> so I've had to respond but I think yeah I don't know if that answers the question that's a great
1: answer yeah really good really good insight we won't ask the uh, direct reports in the room <laughs> <Yes. laughs> we've never put them on this part Uh, Jess what about you 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 talked a lot about time in in your answer earlier about time to learn and you know being real deliberate now with your time
2: I don't practice what I preach
1: right (laughs) (laughs) Um,
2: I think um, I think somebody corrected me once around this work-life balance or I heard it on a podcast most probably work-life integration is most probably a better way for me to manage the expectations I have of myself and maybe others of me Um, I I think it's i guess my the, the thing i care most about is that there isn't one way of doing it so i think it's really important to not be judged or judged others on the way we choose to go about our work mm. um and i was actually in a, a, a similar setting to this and um eddie jones was speaking and um he clearly has a, a different outlook and for him he, there was only but most probably two women in the room at the time but um, he did say that you, there's just no way you can be a great coach if you've got family and kids, and there's just no way, which I found <laughs> fascinating. So just a bit like that. So I think <laughs> I, I just think it's really important that you don't put onto others your way of working as being the only way. Yeah. Um, and I think that judgment piece is really important because I think if you want to be in a job over a sustained period of time. Um, then you have to have a stable base if you you want to A, stay in a job and B, be effective. And for those that you work <coughs> with to be successful, that, that's my ambition. I don't want to just be in a job and think I can only survive it for two years. I, like I believe that I want to be in the job long enough because I feel so passionately about what the team I work with could achieve. Mm. So I think you have to then pay attention to yourself in terms of that stable base. I'm not saying I've got that right, but I think it's really important in terms of understanding what, I guess Chris and Sarah talk about nourishment, like what nourishes me as a coach, like what, what enables me to be the best version of myself. Yeah. And it's a real discipline, I think, to to kind of stick to that. Um, and so surrounding yourself with people that are gonna police it a little bit more and kind of hold you accountable, I think is most probably the first step for me. Um, so that those people are, again, challenging, but from a supportive position. and. I think how I lead others is really important. I don't. I actually embrace and seek out people that are different to me. So again, it would be a contradiction if I then expected them to do the role the same as me. Yeah. So I, I actually, I quite like that. I'd most probably, yeah. Look for it more than anything.
1: Yeah. I, th- I think you've articulated that really well. There's a. There's kind of a, an assumption, isn't there, that because someone gets on the TV and says this is what it takes, this is then the the standard, isn't it? And I think the, the bit that you, you've both articulated really well is the, the personal approach and the way that you want to do it. And you shouldn't have to, sorry, or we shouldn't project what's expected onto others, um, which can happen quite, quite a lot mm. within performance sport. Um, I just wanted to finish with, with one question, just around, you know, what, what's next for you both um, in terms of, you know, seeking out some, some more development. Where, where are you, what are you interested in? What are you, what sort of like, uh, Getting get the light bulb flashing
3: on a on a personal yeah, level.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um,
3: I'm I'm. Cur- I've just started a diploma, um, which is accredited by the EMCC in coaching and mentoring, which is more uh, for me. I'm fascinated by language and human interaction, and I want to learn more about how to be really effective in that space. So mm-hmm. I did a foundation certificate, courtesy of Scotland the Premier League, which was very kind of them to pay for, and. Um, Uh, I found it absolutely brilliant because it's just all about interacting with another person and Mm -hmm. trying to understand their map of the world and what's going on for them and then help them think about it in a slightly different way. So that's fascinating me at the moment. Um, And I've started learning to play the piano, which has been incredibly helpful for my um, uh, mind and my soul. You
1: need a dog. Because I haven't got a dog. <laughs> Get a dog. But well, my kids are like dogs. <laughs> 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 um, and J- Jess obviously, comedy games coming up. So I suppose you've got to be very deliberate with time. And um...
2: yeah. So I, I guess the one of the biggest things for us right now is we've really over this last year, we've just gone from one coach to four coaches. It's quite new territory for us as a sport at this level. So working with Sarah in particular, but also with Chris is just understanding we're all in very different places, even on our coaching journey, none of us are the finished article nor should we be. So I think it's just understanding how do we get the best out of that scenario because it's been a long time coming. Um, So I think from my perspective, I I do need to pay attention to myself and I need to keep making time for myself. I kind of think that's multiple there's multiple things I enjoy doing. Walking the dog is one of them. Um, I, I'm not short sure on reflection, so I, it's not that I need encouragement to do more of that. But I think it's understanding what to do with it. And I think that's where leaning into certain people and understanding the people that can really help you navigate through those reflections is where I get the most value. Um, but yes, paying attention to me and understanding myself, uh, I think you can never stop on that. So understanding myself and how that impacts how I coach, but then also how I lead others and how I can get the best out of the team. Is, um, yeah, is kind of my focus really in the short term. But I'll never lose sight of how important and valuable it is to rub shoulders with people away from the sport because it can become very insular very quickly. Mm. So yeah.
1: Brilliant, thank you. And as expected, that half hour has absolutely flown by. So um, can everybody show some appreciation to <laughs> Jess and Ian, please?
3: As we unpack the sort of notion of curriculum and all the experiences that players will need on their journey to, to getting where you guys would like them to be and fulfilling their potential. Um, in your own context, what critical experiences do you think players need more of, less of, or are missing to develop the players you need for the future to achieve your aspirational goals? <laughs> um, so just a so flavour of a couple of this. Stuff, yeah, no, yeah, it's it's, it's really
2: topical because at the minute, aside from most probably the, the top group of thirty players, the next group coming through we've identified are not roses ready, mm. so they're actually coming in deficient to the programme. They're not good to go after next year's World Cup. So, and, and that's obviously happened over a long period of time. So we're not. Well, there's only so much we can accelerate that, but we're making some quite radical changes, most probably in the short term. Um, so I think I think it's really important. I'm a big believer and have been a product myself of making sure that we're designing programs that allow them to rub shoulders with those that sit above them, those to the side and those below. And whilst I know that that's, I don't mean to teach people to suck eggs, it's easy to say that, but actually in terms of designing your program to make sure it is delivering that I think is really worth challenging yourselves to look, are we actually staying true to that? So I think that's most probably been one of the biggest things I've tried to create some change with. Um, because it's important that they know what you're preparing them for. And the big fish in a small pond has its place, but for too long it's unhelpful. Um, and it doesn't, yeah, it, you're just setting them up to fail, which is kind of what we're now having to almost track back before we can move forward again. Um, and I think exposure certainly to different environments earlier, but being really clear on the purpose of that. So is it about competition first and foremost? Is it about the outcomes? Or actually, is it about some of the wider people development and leadership and um, exposing them to where that might be being done well and I think sometimes just that kind of experiential vicarious learning if designed properly is invaluable and they don't always necessarily explicitly need to know that that was the intended outcome it will come back in bucket loads kind of further down the line so yeah a couple of things that it's really topical for us because we're not in the place we need to be in a year's time. Um, Those are just a couple from me, but
3: yeah, I think sort of building on that I'm having conversations with our under 18s, under 23s coaches around what are the relevant experiences they need. So we've got a player development framework, which looks at playing out from the back and pressing from the front, but we've, we've just started sort of version one of a relevant experience tracker. So using all the coaching experience amongst that coaching group and the first team coaching group. if, if these young men are gonna be ready to either step into our first team environment or to go out on loan to a League One or League Two club? What are the relevant experiences we can and should facilitate for them in their time from us? And can we track it and can we go, right, actually, Cammy Doyle has had that experience multiple times, but Don Ballard hasn't, and be quite deliberate in mapping it?